Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Darkcast Network, where the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops episode 158. Bienvenidos, bitches. Buiti binafi. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able bodied white dudes. What? No, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because you're not going to believe this. The news is racist. No way. It is. I'm telling you. (laughs) It's 2022, and the news Uh, is still very racist. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth. And I just happen to be white. It's not her fault, y'all. <laughs> We're not journalists, <laughs> investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-62. Nine four, <laughs> and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops Patreon. And you can also support our show by supporting our sponsors. So, yeah. who 
are we talking about today, Beth? Well, today we're talking about Clarence W. Walker, a serial killer responsible for at least 13 murders across at least three states between 1951 and 1965. And it's very likely that he was responsible for even more. You know, I only know of two Clarences um, in my life. Uh Clarence Walker... Um, who's a terrible human being, and Clarence Thomas, who's oh, yeah. also, also a terrible kind of human a terrible being. being. Yeah, married a nutbag of a wife. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's uh, Clarence. Don't trust him. Don't trust anyway, Clarence. <laughs> don't trust a Clarence. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Yeah, I got nothing to report, and that's good. <laughs> Yeah. uh, Yeah. I'm jelly. I'm peanut butter and jelly. Uh, Just I'm pretty heartbroken about the recent racist white supremacist attack in Buffalo. We'll talk about this on our Patreon episode for sure. And there's so many things to touch on, not just about the shooting, but um, just like the shooting took place at a grocery store and black this black community didn't have a grocery store and worked really hard to get one so they could have fresh fruits and vegetables and now this happened and it's closed so not only is there all this death but people are like how are we gonna eat like you know so i don't know what to say i'm horrified i'm shocked but I'm not surprised because this is America, y'all. Yeah. Um, and so for those of you who it's are saying, you know, yeah, what I don't this I, this is just not our country. It is. Um, and to all my white friends, I bring this up because in my in my personal socials, people from high school and college are messaging me again. They did the same thing after George Floyd was killed. I'm so sorry. What's your cash app? <laughs> Shit like that. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's so and, crazy. I know. And the response is, well, what, what are you doing about it? To like, change words things. are great. Yeah. yeah. Have conversations with your, your uncles who watch um, Fox news co- this coming Thanksgiving. Um, how are you, how are you going to use your, a, your platform and your advantage as a white person to not be quiet when this shit happens? Yeah. Um, so, and the crime, I mean, this is a true crime show. The crime is white supremacy, y'all. And the victims are black people, indigenous people, women, people of color, LGBTQ, just human beings. White supremacy is public enemy number one, period. And that's all I can think of to say right now about that. Um, So let's mosey on over to some listener letters, shall we? All right, let's do it. Well, hello, angels. Oh, I love that sound. Thank you. What's in that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Hey Little Tomato for your five-star review. Hey Little Tomato, thank you so much. (laughs) Hip-hop air horns, let me find the button. (laughs) And thank you, Michael R., for your generous Cash App donation. Oh my gosh, thank you very much. And we also got a voicemail from Tanisha, a.k.a. Milk of Magnesia. And we meant to play this voicemail some time ago, but we got all messed up with our with CrimeCon and our case list. And this episode was supposed to drop earlier. So uh, sorry about that, Tanisha. Okay, here's the voicemail. Ready? I'm ready. Hi, Wendy and Beth. This is Tanisha, a.k.a. Milk of Magnesia. I just signed up to be a patron, and I also um, wanted to just, Oh my guts on how amazing I think this show is. Oh. I've been following Aww. since truly the beginning. I um, am a nurse. I've been working nights. I worked through uh, the entire pandemic. And in those two years or one year that we were on lockdown, food has definitely gotten me through those horrible shifts. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Um, I listen while I'm at work. 
and it definitely helps me get the, my my mind off of the fact that people around me are just dropping like flies, and mm. I kind of feel like so alone and so you know uh, isolated. But mm. being able to like look forward to something that's interesting that I'm super interested in that highlights people of color and showcases different cases that I would never ever know about um it just really makes me feel good and I'm so happy that you guys have lasted this long and that you keep growing and that you keep just spreading the good news are you crying yet (laughs) I'm also obsessed with all of the Hamilton um references I've seen it twice and I I'm a musical junkie myself too so when you guys throw in those different Hamilton quotes and lines and songs it just makes me feel like I'm talking Mm. to my homegirls and um the cases that you cover um like the baby face one about Brooklyn and you're talking about Ovia and you're talking about um, Jamaican culture and Caribbean culture. Yeah. It was just so refreshing to hear. Oh. And I really enjoyed it. So I don't want to keep you too long, but no, thank you. Thank give you. us thank more you. voicemails. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. You too, boo. Oh, thank oh my you God. So thank you so that was much. So awesome. Oh my God. Uh, that is so sweet. Yeah. We could not do this show without folks like you, Miss Tanisha, Miss Milk of Magnesia. Yeah. You guys keep us lifted up. Yeah. Sure. So thank you. Thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, just quick note. I know you're on Podbean. I, I think I emailed you Milk of Magnesia. Get out of that Podbean girl. Just get, <laughs> just get away. <laughs> we'll be over on Patreon waiting yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was really as I really am welling up. Um, yeah. Really nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a challenging time. I think for it really is um, people, all of us, um, all of us. So, yeah. and just thank you for being a nurse and saving everybody's lives. Yeah. Good God, girl. Thank you. Okay. So now we've got to get into, we got Patreons. Yeah, yeah. We got donations on the cash app. We got Kofi donations. Um, so just want to thank, okay. So we got Heather, Michaela, Michael M and Tambra and Tambra, by the way, like milk of Magnesia has been a supporter on Podbean as a patron. And um, Tambra has been a supporter since like day Day one. one. Yeah. But she heard the call and she's made the switch and we're so, so grateful. Yeah. Thank you. Here are all your tunes. Hip hop air horns right now before I forget. Okay. Here comes the story of a fruity Heather. The one who gave our pod more cheddar <laughs> for something that we never done. Put on a trick on pod with Heather. We gonna be the champions of the world. <laughs> That's my Bob Dylan impression. Right on. Thank you very much, Heather. <laughs> okay. Thank you, my girl, Michaela, in your ear. Time for Michaela, girl, you hear? I'm thinking Michaela in the air. Thank you, Michaela, girl, you're here. Um, that was my Craig Mack impression. Um, let's see. Let's see. A lot um, of impressions this is my, today. This is, my, this is my heavy D impression. Okay. We got nothing but love for you, Michael. Uh-huh. We got nothing but love for you. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> and Tambor, this is for you. And we don't care about the racists, murders, and the rapists. All we care about is Tambor. Tambor, baby, we thank you. Tambor, we thank, we thank you.
Okay, that is enough of those <laughs> tunes. Hip hop air horns. So those were your tunes. Thank you all for supporting our show. Yeah, I hope thank you, you like those. So we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. And we're back talking about Clarence. Don't yeah. trust a Clarence, right? <laughs> uh, remind us, Beth, who is, who is this individual we're talking about today? Clarence Walker, and he murdered at least 13 women and attempted to murder a 14th. Mm. The states he was active in that we know of are Ohio, Michigan, and Illinois. So now we're going to get into some stats. All right, y'all. Clarence Walker has several AKAs, uh, AKA James Darnell. It's the name he used in Cleveland. Clyde Wesley Haynes used that nickname in Michigan. And uh, another nickname he used is Tennessee Tom. Hmm. Um, he's been implicated in at least 14 murders, three in Cleveland, Ohio, four in Benton Harbor, Michigan, and seven in Illinois. His uh, MO was rape, murder, and mutilation. And his known victims rest in power, Queens. Arotha Hawkins was 26. Annie Faye Chandler was 35. Mary Branch, 30, Mary Jones, 37, Dolores Young, 19, Amelia Boyer, 60, Diane Carter was seven years old, Audrey Ellis, 19, and there were five Jane Doe's in Illinois, and um, one survivor, her story is incredible, Laura Gibson. Yeah. So um, now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, let's talk about Tennessee. Okay. 
Walker reportedly was born and brought up in Tennessee, and this is likely where all his troubles began. Mm. Tennessee divides naturally into three areas, East Tennessee, which is often mountainous, Middle Tennessee, which features foothills and a basin, and the low plain of West Tennessee. Mm. Tennessee's climate is advantageous for people and agriculture, Mm. with abundant rainfall and a long growing season. And uh, researching this case, it kind of sounds beautiful. It does. You know my two favorite? things from Tennessee? What's that? Dolly Parton and yeah. Three Six Mafia. <laughs> now, the state is generally free from the long droughts and freezes of more extreme climates. The three major rivers that flow around and across Tennessee, the Mississippi, Tennessee, and Cumberland Rivers, have created watersheds that cover most of the state. Numerous groups of people have settled in Tennessee, beginning with Native Americans about 12,000 years ago. The name Tennessee comes from the Native American word Tennessee. The fact that Tennessee and many of the places in it still carry Native American names serves as a lasting reminder of the significance of its Native inhabitants. Now, if only somebody would acknowledge the genocide and land theft. Yeah. I'll wait. (laughs) Anyway, archaeological evidence shows that East Tennessee had densely populated native communities prior to European contact, which is a euphemism for fuckery. People who do not have their own written language are often forgotten or known mostly from the documents written by their conquerors. Um, I'm so glad you said this. And this is what happened to the native, native inhabitants of Tennessee. Most of what is known about their culture comes from writings of European Americans who often viewed Native American culture as inferior to to their own. However, Culture Corner, if they had allowed them to um, document their histories, which was an oral history shared um, amongst each other and passed on um, to generations and didn't make such an effort to destroy um, their culture, that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, no kidding. In 1540 to 1542, Hernando de Soto led a group of 600 conquistadors, or Spanish soldiers, through the mountains into East Tennessee, where they encountered native peoples. Spanish entradas, or exploratory expeditions, led by de Soto, Tristan de Luna, and Juan Pardo, came through the region between 1540 and 1567. Entrada is entrance. I am entering and taking this land. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, So for the next hundred years, the trade in deer and beaver pelts was the main connection between European Americans and Native Americans. But the densely populated valleys and towns that DeSoto had found became deserted. Historians are not certain what happened to these people, but the most likely explanation is that the Native Americans were wiped out by diseases such as smallpox and measles carried by the dirty, disgusting, deadly Spanish. (laughs) I added that last part. The Creek, Yuchi, and Shawnee were driven out in the early 18th century by the Cherokee, who apparently migrated into the region after it was emptied by disease. By the time Europeans returned to the area for further exploration in the 1700s, the principal indigenous groups were the Chickasaw in the west and the Cherokee in the east. 
The colonial fur trade would change the Native American way of life forever. The system made the natives dependent on European trade goods and led to overhunting of game. At the same time, trade greatly increased intertribal warfare. It also drew the Native Americans into European wars, such as the French and Indian War at the end of the 18th century. Following the Revolutionary War, the area that is now Tennessee was actually part of North Carolina. Tennessee made a bid for admission to the Union as a state named Franklin. Oh, imagine. Yeah, imagine that. (laughs) I like Tennessee better. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Plus, it's based on a Native American word. Hell yeah. However, the Continental Congress turned down this petition for statehood, and the region was organized as the territory south of the River Ohio. Black people arrived in the region prior to statehood. Some were free citizens with restricted rights, but most lived in the condition of enslavement on, um, I've heard a euphemism today for plantations as uh, like bondage sites or... (laughs) Anyway, there's there's uh, language is important. I can't remember, yeah. but a plantation is is too kind in right. my opinion. But anyway, from the colonial era until the conclusion of the Civil War. In 1796, Tennessee became a state, the first admitted from territorial status. General Andrew Jackson was its first mm-hmm. congressman. <laughs> Jackson's victory over the British at New Orleans in 1815 made him a national hero of the War of 1812. Jackson was then elected president in 1828 and again in 1832. Oh, my God. He's the fucking worst. worst. Now, as president... Andrew Jackson was a wild racist. Even considering the context of the time, people were like, bro, relax. (laughs) That's a little little much. (laughs) You've gone gone too far, Jackson. So, um, and it's, I'm laughing, but in in really horrific ways. Yeah. Wait, Um, wait, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a response because I'm really uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember what the word is. I've been having trouble with words today. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. Maybe Mercury's in reggaeton again. I don't know. Everybody's having trouble. There was a um, lunar eclipse last night, so maybe that's oh, that's what it is. Oh, maybe that's yeah, it. So yeah, I'm going to yeah, blame yeah. it on the lunar eclipse. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's, uh, it's it's a reaction that we have when something's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're we human. Apologize. We're trying to work. Yeah, we're not trying to make anybody upset or uncomfortable. No, um, it's but, just what uh, we do. It is just what we do. I mean, we're human beings. Yeah. Um. So, uh, but this Andrew Jackson motherfucker, he was an advocate of the removal of all native peoples in the eastern United States to the western regions. And Tennessee's native populations, along with other indigenous peoples of the southeastern United States, were forced to walk the Trail of Tears to reservations in what is now Oklahoma. Whooping cough, typhus, dysentery, cholera, and starvation were epidemic along the way. 3,500 of the 15,000 Creeks who set out for Oklahoma did not survive the trip. It's estimated that more than 5,000 Cherokee died during the journey. Just uh, uh, devastating numbers of human beings. When the American Civil War broke out in 1861, Tennessee, like other states in the Upper South, voted for secession and joined the Confederacy. Losers. <laughs> Although the majority of East Tennesseans remained loyal to the Union and some attempted to form a separate pro-Union state. Which I didn't know. That was interesting. I didn't either. That is interesting. 
Only Virginia saw more fighting than Tennessee during the war. The Union Army won most of the encounters and occupied much of Tennessee by 1864. In 1866, Tennessee became the first Confederate state to rejoin the United States. In February of 1867, Tennessee became the first former Confederate state to grant all African-American men the right to vote. Wow. That's yeah. something I didn't know. I but, didn't either. Um, that's that's progress. That's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Reconstruction era policies attempted to establish political and economic equality for black Americans. The Ku Klux Klan was founded in Pulaski, Tennessee. And by 1870, it had extended into almost every single Southern state. The KKK became a vehicle to white Southern resistance and terrorism against Reconstruction. At the end of Reconstruction, many laws that had been passed were then reversed. A poll tax, money that a person had to pay in order to vote, was enacted. This tax made it hard for many Black people and poor white people to vote. And between 1866 and 1955, Tennessee enacted 20 Jim Crow laws, including six requiring school segregation, three which segregated railroads, two requiring segregation for public accommodations, one which mandated segregation on streetcars, and four which outlined interracial marriage and sex. And segregation, think of all these, all the extra they had to do in order to, to, to enforce get that. This, yeah. to enforce this. Um, yeah. What a waste. Dumb. So <laughs> yeah, dumb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Constitution of Tennessee, Article 11, Section 13 reads, quote, the intermarriage of white persons with Negroes, mulattoes, or persons of mixed blood descended from a Negro to the third generation inclusive of their living together as man and wife in this state is prohibited, unquote. Interesting. But the yeah. rape of um, totally black and okay. indigenous women is yeah. totally okay. That's all and, right. and men and children as well is totally yeah. okay. No big deal. Yeah. Okay. Um, <sighs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just, it's making I'm fired me up angry. about racism today. Yeah, it's yes. It's going to be quite hot at this moment after yeah. what we are just constantly faced with. And it's yeah. here it, and it's, it's not new is what is so frustrating. It's yeah, not new. Because, um, so this, so if you broke this law, uh, it mm -hmm. came with a prison sentence of one to five years. And mm -hmm. this was not overturned until the decision of Loving versus Virginia in 1967, which is nuts. But then, it's not that long ago. Yeah, it's not that long ago. And then um, this guy who shot up the supermarket in Buffalo, uh, he mm -hmm. believed in uh, that conspiracy theory um that Democrats are trying to get rid of white people by bringing immigrants and interbreeding. <laughs> yeah, it's and I, I I feel like we I don't want I know it, this episode could end up going long, but I feel like we do need to talk about this replacement theory because yeah, that's, that's that's what where, it's called. That's I where forgot. the that's where these um, laws uh, uh, come into place. They're so terrified. Yeah. They're afraid. And this was it back in, you know, when the this law went into place. Eight, between 1866 and 1955. Sometime after 1866, this mm -hmm. law came into play and was in the Tennessee law until 1967, which wasn't even that long ago. And now we mm -hmm. have all these other uh, numbnuts 
thinking uh, the same thing, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And I'll take it a step further. We just got the Supreme Court decision leaked. And um, did, would you believe that um, women's the women's right to choose is also related to um, racism? Because there's also a fear that if white women are allowed to have abortions, then that also means less white babies. Less white being people. Born. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's, it's all, all connected, y'all. Yeah. It's yeah. all connected that white white men, white Christian men really believe that they have the right to control everything everybody. about everybody yeah. and society. Yeah. And it is it's super wrong. gross. Yeah, it's yeah. So anyway, uh, back to the story. The lynching of black people became more commonplace. Oh, more horror yay, and terror. Yay, yeah. In yay, in Tennessee, there were 214 victims between 1882 and 1930. Of this number, 37 were white. Interesting. And 177, they were probably helping um, or being kind to yeah, black people. Yeah, who knows? And 177 were black, and the rest are unknown. Lynchings were often treated as normal occasions. By by new newspapers attractions even in memphis where the largest number of lynchings occurred 18 the newspaper sometimes announced them in advance the place and time for lynching and they would even close the schools oh, so geez. that the, the whole neighborhood could come yeah come on kids let's go watch yeah. a lynching it's oh, so Jesus. fucked up yeah and black people were of course intimidated by the lynchings but some still protested, mm. which I find amazing. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In 1918, more than 2,000 black people marched in protest of a lynching in Estell Springs, although the white press did not widely cover the march. Other black people attempted to protest segregation and the violence perpetrated against them. Ida B. Wells, one of my heroes, wrote articles in local black newspapers in Memphis condemning the lynchings. Actually, she one of her friends had been lynched, and she was like, fuck this, oh, wow. I, need to, I need to tell people about, about what's going on here. Yeah. There were so many threats made against her her life that she had to leave Memphis and move north. Other black people also moved away from the South. From 1900 to 1960, it is estimated that 5 million black people, American refugees in their own country, left the South to move north or west. And in 1910, 80% of United States black citizens lived in the South. By 1970, less than one half lived in the South. Wow. Mm -hmm. The Scopes trial took place in 1925 in the small town of Dayton in East Tennessee. This was a trial in which a local biology teacher was convicted of having broken the state's law against the teaching of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Nothing new crazy. under the sun. Yep. Nothing new. The event underscored the emerging division among Americans between modernist thought and more fundamentalist values, which Wow. <laughs> yeah. The more oh things change, the more they stay the same. We're 1925 going through the same or 2022. Thing right now. I know. Yeah. It's, absolutely. it's happening again. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Can can and, we be excused? <laughs> can we be excused, please? And is anybody like how are we not seeing that this we've been here before and not learning not from learn this? anything? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay, on with the wonderful uh, story we have for you here. So, oh boy. uplifting. Here we go. Oh boy. <laughs> Is it shout out time yet? <laughs> 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 okay. All right, let's plow through. Okay. <laughs> 
so the Great Depression, which is the time period that Clarence Walker grew up in, had a significant negative effect on the lives of many Tennesseans and was a particularly difficult time for children. As economic problems placed stress on families, many children found themselves in desperate situations. Some had to work to help support their families instead of going to school. Other children couldn't go to secondary school since many rural areas lacked high schools or because their families couldn't afford the books, which Mm. were not furnished by the schools. Of the students who could attend, many went hungry because there was no school lunch program and their families didn't have anything to send with them. New Deal Federal Public Works programs started funding the construction of many new schools in Tennessee during the 1930s and also helped schools begin serving hot lunches to students. But it was slow going and schools in Tennessee, which under Jim Crow laws were supposed to be separate but equal, uh, were in reality vastly inferior for black students. They remained segregated and unequal for several years after the Supreme Court issued the ruling in Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. And uh, this was the atmosphere that Clarence Walker grew up in. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. All 
right. So we're in the setting. Now we're going to get into Clarence Walker's early life. What do you got for us, Beth? Clarence Walker was reportedly born on February 25th, 1929 in Tennessee, though we don't know where or if this information is accurate. We've been unable to verify it via our birth certificate or any entry on Ancestry.com. Due to his use of pseudonyms, it's hard to tell what his real name is. It's possible that his real name was Clyde Wesley Haynes. Uh, We We did find a Clyde W. Haynes of the same age listed in the 1930 and 1940 census in Tennessee, but he is listed in court documents as Clarence Walker. So that's what we're going to go with for this episode. Yeah. And he grew up to be six foot two. But reports were that in person, he appeared even taller. And I saw pictures of him and he is a beanpole. Oh, really? Yeah. He was very thin. But he had large bones. So he had this kind of a lurch vibe going on. Oh, interesting. Ah. So in some articles in Michigan, uh, Clarence Walker, using the name Clyde Haynes, was linked to two quote-unquote brothers, Dennis Haynes, uh, who was killed by a bullet in 1968, and Governor Haynes, who was charged with murder in Benton Harbor in 1970. They may have been relatives, cousins, or uncles rather than brothers. And just a quick culture corner with Wendy and Beth. Um, In BIPOC communities, and actually somebody at our live show, an Indigenous woman, confirmed um, that they do the same thing in her um, community when we were talking about Cuejo, that we use words like brother, cousin, nephew to show respect or admiration or love to someone regardless of what the actual blood relation is or if it even exists between us or not. Um, And court reporters or journalists who may have been reporting on the case at the time just probably didn't understand. Don't get that. Yeah. And missed it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, particularly the story is older, too. And Mm -hmm. and uh, white journalists were probably dumber, (laughs) not dumber, but uncultured. (laughs) Exactly. Lacked any cultural competency whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's been reported that in 1945, at the age of 16, Walker was convicted of manslaughter in Tennessee for the shooting death of a 14-year-old boy, and that he was paroled after seven years. Okay, so now we are going to get into the timeline. Reportedly, after Walker's release, he began traveling the country, supporting himself through petty crime. At some point, he married, but we don't know when or even the name of his wife. He served two or more prison terms in Ohio on convictions for armed robbery and grand larceny. In 1963, he was living in Cleveland. On purpose? I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and at some point, he was working in a garage, though we don't know in what capacity. On November 28, 1963, housewife Arotha Hawkins, 26, was seen walking towards a grocery store in Cleveland's east side. Six weeks later, the woman's mutilated body was found in some woods outside of the city. Aratha was a mother of eight children, five of which had died in a fire in 1960. Really sad. Mm, yeah. Two months later, on Friday, January 24th, 1964, Annie Faye Chandler, 35, mother of two teenage children, was last seen leaving an east side tavern, getting into a car being driven by a man. On January 29th, a wrecking crew was at a house on 74th Street preparing to demolish the building when they found two bodies in the basement of the home. Uh-oh. The bodies were originally identified in the newspapers as Annie Faye Chandler and Janice Hopper, 22. The bodies were found 
found naked, mutilated, and stacked one on top of the other. Annie had been murdered days before she had been stabbed to death, her throat slit. The second woman had probably been killed within several hours prior to discovery and had been strangled to death. Both women's breasts had been removed. The second woman was eventually identified as Mary Branch, 30, although she was still misidentified as Janice Hopper in some articles. Investigators believed that the women had been murdered at a different site and then left at the abandoned building. They characterized the victims as, quote, women who frequented taverns late at night, unquote. Uh, way to blame the victims. I was just going to say, this is uh, old school victim blaming, yeah. huh? There you go. The mutilations to the bodies of all three victims were so similar that investigating officers believed they were seeking a single predator. The perpetrator was described by police as, quote, vicious, sadistic, a maniac, unquote. Hmm. As a result of finding the bodies in the abandoned house, the Urban Renewal Commissioner in Cleveland ordered that all vacant buildings in urban renewal areas be boarded up. That should stop the killer, right? Of course. Um, (laughs) By the way, I've said this before when urban renewal comes up. Urban renewal is a euphemism for Negro removal. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) they won't say that part Mm -hmm. out loud, but that's what ends up happening. That's what they mean. Uh, Yes. Investigators learned that Faye Chandler had been keeping company for the last couple of months with a tall and lanky black man, about 35, who had not come around since her disappearance. In addition, a witness came forward to say that he'd seen a man matching that description, forcing Mary Branch into an older model car several hours before the two bodies were discovered. However, investigators came up to a brick wall when trying to learn the identity of this man. Walker most likely left the area after the three bodies were found dead and linked because in 1965, he was living in Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is located almost directly across Lake Michigan from Chicago, Illinois. On February 6, 1965, 37-year-old Mary Jones disappeared after drinking at a bar in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Nine days later, Dolores Young, 19, was kidnapped off the street in the same town. On February 16, 1965, the body of Dolores Young was found in a burned-out building in Benton Harbor, Michigan. She had been raped and mutilated. The lack of blood at the scene indicated the girl had been killed elsewhere and her body left in the building. In March of 1965, 60-year-old Amelia Boyer, who was white, a cleaning lady at a laundromat in Benton Harbor, disappeared sometime after going to work at the laundromat. And I I believe she was the only white victim. Yeah, and you can tell because there was more information about her as a human being, right? The other ones only were characterized by their um, tawdry tawdry activities before their death. She was drinking in a tavern. Amelia has a whole job. Job. A whole story. She, yeah. They know what time she got. She was supposed <laughs> to get there. She has a whole husband. Yeah. I mean, so it's yep. just. It, it, yeah, it, you're it, right. It, what can I say? The yeah. news is racist. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) So Amelia worked at the laundromat. She usually went there at 4.30 a.m. to clean and returned home by 6.30, at which time she would wake up her husband, Olin, for breakfast. That day, Olin woke just before 8 a.m. when realizing that Amelia wasn't there. He knew something was wrong. He then went to the laundromat to look for her, and he found that her purse, a dustpan, and broom were still there, but no Amelia. 
and the place had only been half cleaned. Olin contacted the police. He told investigators that his wife had complained about a black man annoying her as she cleaned the laundromat, and the stranger called himself Tennessee Tom. By the way, I was wondering if um, the other victims, if their family members went to police too. But oh, the police and just told said, them all kinds off. of stuff, and they were yeah. like, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, exactly. You were drinking in a tavern, weren't you? <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 So, anyway, America. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Days later, on March 30th, seven-year-old Diane Carter went outside to play after supper, as she did on most nights. Diane was the daughter of Robert and Verbena Carter, and she was the youngest of five children. Little Diane disappeared while playing in the grassy area of her family's apartment complex. A 10-year-old boy told police that she had gotten into the car with a tall black man. After her disappearance, her family was plagued with anonymous crank calls. Which is horrible. Mm-hmm. People just uh, calling a family whose daughter's lost and, and yeah. just saying nasty things. What the fuck? Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. yeah. On April 4th, 1965, two boys, aged 12 and 15, were riding their bikes around and had found a quarter near a pine grove. So they started to look for more money in the grove. But instead of spare change, they found a headless naked body. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the younger boy had to take a sleeping pill that night to get to sleep. Oh, my gosh. I know. Oh, Oh, man. So while securing the crime scene, police came across yet another naked body. It's two of them? Yep. Uh, This victim had been stabbed. Wow. In the heart, her abdomen cut open and uterus removed. She was later identified as Amelia Boyer. Then a third body, a third body was also found. That of little seven-year-old Diane Carter. She was found at one, uh, about 160 feet from Amelia Boyer's body, and she'd been strangled to death with her stockings. All three bodies were found within 200 feet of each other. Despite her missing head, the first victim was identified as Mary Esther Jones, 37, via fingerprinting. Police determined that Mary and Amelia had been carried, not dragged, to their final resting place. So it had to be somebody who could carry them, you know? A bigger, yeah, bigger person. strong. Yeah. Yeah. Diane had been murdered at the scene. Many of the police officers who investigated the scene at the Pine Grove called it the worst crimes in their memory. Wow. Yeah. On April 5th, more than 100 officers combed the area foot by foot, then spread out to cover a square mile of woods and farmland. A partially burned Christmas card addressed to Dolores Young was found, and police then attributed all four Benton Harbor killings to one man. All four victims lived within a mile of each other, and Walker lived in the same area. Mm. The opinion at the time was that the murderer was a white man with medical training because of the mutilations and the fact that Amelia Boyer had been stabbed directly in the heart, which reminds me of uh, Jack the Ripper, who they also (gasps) thought had medical training. Oh, Yeah, I think he was just a sick fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, you heard it here, folks. Uh, From the OG Jack the Ripper was a sick fuck. Yep. (laughs) Shocking. Case case closed. Uh, So, 19 days after the bodies were discovered, Mary Jones's head was found near where Walker was living. At the time, Walker was going as James Darnell, and he skipped town. I saw the word skipped and I literally pictured a tall man skipping, skipping, <laughs> skipping out of town. I'm sorry. La, I'm, la, just, la, la. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> skipped directly out of town after the head was found. 
I'm sorry. I'm just looking for any bit of humor. <laughs> yeah, in this I know. Case. This is a rough one, really. Oh, man. Uh, police received a tip to look into Darnell, but since he was black and not educated, police never questioned him. In the summer of 1965, a woman's skull was found in a wooded conservation area outside of Chicago. All efforts to identify the victim failed. Reportedly, two police officers, Lieutenant Jerry Harmon and Captain Thomas Brown, decided to take the skull to a well-known psychic named Irene Hughes. Oh! Miss Cleo, call me for your free reading now. (laughs) So Hughes took the skull into her hands and told the officers that the skull had something to do with someone named Walker. The officers checked out the name with those of women reported missing and drew a blank. On the morning of July 1st, 1966, 22-year-old Laura Gibson, accompanied by her friend Vanessa Harper, was at Chicago Police Headquarters to file a complaint against her estranged husband. Mrs. Gibson was informed that she would have to file her action at a district police station located on the south side of Chicago. Interesting. A tall, lanky black man approached Laura and offered to drive her to file the complaint. Laura accepted, and after dropping off Vanessa Harper, the man continued driving driving with Laura. However, instead of taking Laura to a police station, the man drove to a forest preserve area and pulled off the road. The man then told her to get out of the car, grabbed her wrist, pulled her from the vehicle, and dragged her into the woods. Placing his arm around Laura's neck and his hand over her mouth, he told her that he was a quote-unquote maniac. He then pulled off Laura's skirt and undergarments and raped her, threatening to kill her if she did not obey and to, quote, leave her body out there to rot, unquote. It's terrifying. Yeah. Afterwards, the man kicked Laura and struck her on the side of the head with a Coca-Cola bottle, knocking her unconscious. When she regained consciousness, the man was raping her again. When he had finished, he took a razor blade and slit Laura's throat from ear to ear. He also slashed open her abdomen. As a final insult, he took a ring from Laura's finger, a watch from her wrist, and a $10 bill from her shoe before leaving. On July 4th, a group of picnickers in a conservation area north of Chicago came across a woman who they believed to be dead. The woman's throat had been cut from ear to ear. She'd been raped, her abdomen slashed, along with other mutilations, and had suffered a severe beating about the head. But miraculously... She was still alive. Laura Gibson had been lying in the woods for three days and nights before being found. That's incredible. Unbelievable. Uh, She was hospitalized and recovered from her wounds. Wow. Yeah. A week later, the decomposed body of another woman was found in the woods in Lyons, just west of Chicago. She too was naked and had been stabbed and mutilated. A picture of the unidentified body was shown to Irene Hughes. She would only say the name Walker was connected to the photograph. Only five days after the discovery of the decomposed corpse, another naked and mutilated female body was found. Once again, Lieutenant Harmon paid a visit to psychic Irene Hughes. This time, he showed her clothing belonging to the unidentified victim. Hughes repeated the name Walker. Police searched their files for a tall black man named Walker, but once again drew a blank. 
On Labor Day, September 5th, another woman's mutilated body was found in woods just outside of Chicago. Again, the police were stymied. As in the past, Harmon took some clothing for Hughes to examine. She confirmed the man was called Walker and claimed another victim. Harmon sent photographs of the dead girl to every police department in Illinois and surrounding states. It wasn't long before he heard back from Gary, Indiana. The family of a missing girl identified the photograph of the victim as Audrey Ellis, 19. Uh, So now we're going to get on into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. On September 20th, 1966, Laura Gibson was on the south side of Chicago when she was startled to see the man who had almost killed her crossing the street. Whoa. That would have been like freaky. (laughs) Yeah. Knock the wind right out of you. Yeah. Flagging down a passing squad car, Laura directed them to the man who was leaning against a building. When asked his name, the man replied, Clarence Walker. Walker was taken into custody and charged with attempted murder, rape, and robbery. During questioning, Walker denied knowing Laura Gibson. He also denied driving the car, which Laura described. When he was told that Laura had identified him as her assailant, he eventually admitted meeting her, and he also admitted possessing a vehicle of the type Laura described. Police questioned Walker for hours about the murders of Audrey Ellis and the Jane Doe's, but got nowhere. However, they were able to locate Laura Gibson's ring at a pawn shop, and they learned that Walker's wife had pawned it. Mm. When questioned, Walker's wife told police that he had often bragged to her about killing several women. That's wild. Yeah. That I don't know what to make of that. So there are t- two more bodies were found in the Chicago area after Walker's arrest, but no new murders were committed after his apprehension. Interesting. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the trial. What the what, Beth? Despite the evidence against him, Walker never confessed to any of the murders. The state hmm. felt that they might not be able to obtain a conviction against him on the murder charges because all of their evidence was circumstantial. So Walker was never charged with the murders, but in 1968, he was tried and found guilty of the crimes committed against Laura Gibson, who testified against him at his trial. Wow. That's amazing. She survived She's a, and faced him. Yeah. In trial. What a warrior. Amazingly strong. Yeah. 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 Um, Walker was sentenced to 100 to 150 years in prison on the rape charge, 100 to 150 years for armed robbery and 19 to 20 years for attempted murder. All the sentences were to run consecutively for a maximum of 320 years. It wasn't until after the trial that the murders in Cleveland, Ohio and Benton Harbor, Michigan, were linked to the murders in Illinois. It was then that it was discovered that Walker had lived in those places when the murders took place. And a friend of Amelia Boyer's identified a photo of Walker as that of the man who called himself Tennessee Tom. However, Walker was never charged with any of the murders. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. We've been unable to ascertain where Walker is today, but given his birth date and our inability to find him in the system, he's probably deceased. But if he is alive, he'd be 93 years old. As far as we know, none of the five Jane Doe's in Illinois have ever been identified. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth 
Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Uh, So now we're going to get into our takes. What do you got, Beth? Well, this one was really frustrating to me because of the lack of information about Clarence Walker and a lot of the victims and Mm. uh, his early life. Mm -hmm. But I I would imagine that his childhood sucked. (laughs) Yeah. And he suffered a lot of childhood trauma. I mean, that time period is just horrendous. Yeah. And it's reported that he killed a 14-year-old boy when he was 16. We don't Mm -hmm. know the circumstances of that, but he was in prison for seven years afterwards. And that probably did not help. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as we know, Walker was living a regular life. He was married. Hiding in plain sight. He was married. He did have a job in a garage. So, uh, yeah, he was hiding in plain sight, living under the radar. Uh, And uh, I wonder how much his wife knew because he kept telling her that he'd killed women. So, yeah, I I imagine she was probably afraid of him. That's Um, my thought. Yeah. But I wish we had more information about that. I'd love to know her story. Yeah, I would as well. And then the involvement of the psychic is wild. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but I love that part of the story. (laughs) Part of me doesn't even believe it. Um, What? Yeah, like, really? But it was reported in more than one place. So I don't know. (laughs) So so I agree with everything you said. I'm going to just cut to the psychic part. My thoughts on that, because... The psychic thing is interesting to me because I think, well, I love Miss Cleo, but she ended up being a big fraud. But I think of Alison Dubois, the medium from Tucson, who police actually did use her to solve crimes. And they made a show about her called Medium, starring Patricia Arquette. And it's wild and seems out of the box and off the rails. But I'm thinking, like, why not? If they have nothing else, I mean, it's worth a shot, right? When I was reading the story about the part with the psychic, that's pretty much what the police officers said. They're like, you know what? We got nothing to lose. So (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that the several traumas, um, familial, we don't know, but certainly being a great migration baby growing up in the depression in the deep South, subject to extreme violence, either within his home or just upon him by white society around him. It all had to be very horrifying and terrifying. And also there's this element of, I, I wonder of, you know, not knowing if you'll die at the hands of a white man or due to lack of resources. Um, so so that might be a tricky thing to, to live with. Right. Um, the mutilating the bodies, cutting yeah. off the breast, cutting yeah. out the uterus. I am not an OG of true crime. And I wanted to ask you, I can't tell if it's because of extreme hatred or disgust for the female form or some sort of necrophilia type obsession with the female form where he, he can um, get close to it without rejection. But I don't know. Or I, I don't know. Yeah, what are your I, I don't really know either. I tend to think um, when bodies are mutilated like that, it comes from hatred. But mm. I, I don't I don't really know. Yeah. Mm. I mean, okay. that. Um, so Jack the Ripper did similar mutilations. Yeah. Uh, cut parts off and 
cut up abdomens and pulled out the uterus, I believe, in one of them, just like mm-hmm. this guy did. So, yeah. And we don't know who <laughs> Jack the Ripper was. So we can't yeah. ask him either. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you mean Mindhunter didn't make it over to England and, and Not interview in the him? 1800s, no. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would I would like to know. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm so curious. Um, and this is another case that. Um, so this is no secret. I don't like reading. <laughs> yeah, I love listening and watching videos and documentaries about these cases. I couldn't find any. No, there wasn't any on this there, one. And, I and, actually and, had to get a book. Shit. Yeah, I I read a lot of articles, like a, a lot of new, uh-huh. news articles. I went back to newspapers.com and stuff like that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there just wasn't enough information and uh i found a book but i couldn't get it at the about library this or anything specific case no um it was lots of different cases in the same book but okay. there was like i don't know 10 pages devoted to this story so mm. i mm. got the book <laughs> oh right on so i'll have to well put done that- beth put that receipt in our receipts folder please do please do it's a business expense and it helped craft a winner of an episode my friend because i was worried because i i couldn't find my my usual go-to's were not available in this right one. so i found it frustrating more than ever that right. i couldn't find information about this. yeah guy. i was worried we might not be able to even tell this story until i found Ooh, that book yeah wow well i'm glad you got it and i i just um i because i'm curious what a culturally competent forensic psychologist would have would to say, say about clarence yeah. walker yeah um, i'd love to and, hear that Oh, yeah. And the women in the story, I I mentioned this when we were going through it, but they were characterized very differently. And even though it wasn't clear in the sources that Beth found and that I saw who was white and who was not, you can kind of tell by the the human characteristics that they're given when in the context of the story. The Um, only one I know for sure was white was Amelia. Um, The other ones, I'm pretty sure they were all black. Yeah. So I'm not 100%. Yeah. So those are my takes. Those are my thoughts. Um, I'm really glad we got to cover this one because A, never heard of it. B, the world needs to know about these victims and these circumstances in this context. Yeah. Um, So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. (laughs) So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. What you got, Wendy? So I um, I have been turned on to the Killer Psych podcast. Hmm. And I must say thank you. Killer Psych. Um, to you, Beth. Wait, you told me about it. It's that lady from CrimeCon. Oh! <gasps> Okay, yeah. Oh my sorry. god, her podcast is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Candace DeLong. Candace DeLong. Killer Psyche. That's oh, what I sorry. Got okay, Killer Psyche. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Killer Psyche. This is how this is where I got this tip from. So she said, tell your children to remember this. And it's a good tip for adults too, but mostly mostly for children. And she said to tell your kids to remember three simple things. 
know, run, and tell. If someone asks your child to go somewhere with them or an adult asks a kid for help, say no, run away, and tell somebody. She elaborated that predators don't like trouble. Yeah. So if you say no and you run away and tell, oh, jeez. That, you <laughs> That's know, too much trouble. My yeah. plans are thwarted. <laughs> um, and another thing to keep in mind, grownups don't ask kids for help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I think of that fact, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just drill and- that into your kids' heads. <laughs> yeah. Grownups don't ask kids for help. <laughs> Absolutely. And lastly, remind them that if someone tells you not to tell or that they're going to get hurt, if they tell or their family will get hurt to reassure them that you will protect them. Yeah. Um, and use all the resources you have to do right that. On. So um, that's all I got. Okay. So now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by or about people of color or any other marginalized folks right. um, or any true crime goodies. Um, I just wanted to shout out a little gem on Disney plus uh, family watching for the weekend. Uh, Sneakerella on Disney mm. plus. Finally, Disney has a, a show about a black boy who is from Queens, who is a sneakerhead and dreams of being a famous sneaker designer. Aww. But uh-oh, at midnight, he loses his sneaker. Oh, no. And, <laughs> no. and yeah, and like... Um, fucking that basketball player john sally is it he raps that part is kind of corny but uh it was really fun for everybody in the family the cast is extremely diverse um and the music is really tight the shoes are really cool uh, old whitey old whitey told me so um and he was like oh like his mouth was watering um and then um it, w- it was just fun for the whole family and if oh, awesome. you're looking for a representation for your kids out out here in these streets trying to be a, a better <laughs> white person and then they shut down critical race theory at your kid's school <laughs> and have them watch something like this anyway so oh and then also kendrick lamar's album came out this last week and oh my god whoo i am weeping it is a fucking masterpiece stream it everywhere talk to your families about ending generational trauma because that's what this is all about so. wow yeah. So what do you All got? Right. Um, I wanted to shout out We Own This City on HBO. Have you heard of oh, it? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. It's yeah. so good. It's great. It's yeah, great. Yeah, it's great. Um, and it also has a companion podcast. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. It yeah. does? It does. Oh, my yeah. God. I had no idea. <laughs> so We Own This City is co-created and written by David Simon, the creator of The Wire, which is one of the best shows ever. That's and what people say. You haven't. <laughs> You haven't seen it yet? I couldn't get into it. Are I you couldn't. serious? Wow. Yeah, okay. I couldn't. Okay. Um, okay. But I am into We Own the City. Okay. So. All right. It's a six episode series about corrupt cops working within the Baltimore Police Department. It's based on a true story. So, mm, yeah. 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 It's about the Gun Trace Task Force, oh. which was investigated by the FBI and Mm. uh, it led to the eventual arrest of eight officers who are involved for their roles in a criminal scheme involving robbery and extortion that targeted drug dealers and innocent civilians. And Mm. eventually all of the officers charged were found guilty of various crimes that included racketeering, robbery, extortion, and overtime fraud. So the timeline, it kind of goes back and forth. It tells, Uh tells the story of how this all went down. Yeah. Mm. 
I, yeah, I'm loving it so it's far. It's really Thank good. you for that. Yeah. It's, it's real, like The Wire was really gritty and it's really gritty. So um, I just want to say you might be triggered by some of this stuff. If, oh, with the bet. police and, uh, you know, the pr- police brutality and yeah. um, uh, corruption oh and all that Yo, stuff. That's why she's the best white lady <laughs> I have ever known in my entire life. Oh, my God. I just want to, like, hug you right now. That's so kind. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow. Oh, my God. I don't even want to, like, I don't want to hang up. Don't hang up. Can you stay on this, stay on this line here. with me we'll, forever? We'll listen to each other breathing. Yeah. That is really just really kind of you. Thank you. It's a good show, but you're right. And yeah, that's really, really it can't, I, I could. Yeah, see that it could be very triggering. Whoo, child. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tell all your friends. Hashtag be like Beth. So that is <laughs> Sneakerella on Disney+. Plus. Kendrick Lamar's new album. Uh, it's called Mr. Morale and the Big Steppas. Anywhere you get albums, Spotify, whatever. Um, and we own the city on HBO. All right. Well, this has been challenging but yeah. wonderful yes and uh but we have to say goodbye so where can the people find us in the meantime Beth? our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use fruit loops pod for all of our social media join our discussion group on facebook at fruit loops pod discussion if you want to support the show you can send us a donation on the cash app just google fruit loops pod cash app or you can become a monthly patron through patreon this will Yay. help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help and as always we have merch for sale on our website right so this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so till next time look alive y'all it's crazy out there Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? 
But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. <laughs>